thank you for the difference that you're making um, in two countries. So just to give you some, again, some context for this, she started sponsoring in Bangladesh. And I know many of you were really desperate to go and visit the children you sponsor. And um, with just what was happening in Bangladesh, that wasn't possible to do a trip. So you started another region in Indonesia. So you're running the two together and then did two trips, I think, if I remember right. One, oh, we had the next one planned, didn't we? And then COVID, dreaded COVID. Um, so children that are available for sponsoring today are from both those nations. And I'm going to uh, give you a bit of an update on the two countries in a moment. The next uh, slide is a number. So as a church family, you're sponsoring 112 children. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the size of your church, the number of children you're sponsoring is outstanding. Thank you for what you are doing and the difference that you're making. Um, that's phenomenal. And I want to stop there a moment to say thank you on behalf of every one of those children and the families that they represent, because they don't know I'm standing here today um, talking about them. So thank you for um, all that you're doing. If you are new to the church, on the next slide, this breaks down that first statement, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. It just breaks that down into three sections. So first of all, we're focused on children. I think that's obvious from what I've been saying. Really, if we want to see an end to poverty, we've got to work right through. You can't just say, let's put more money in. If money was the answer to poverty, we'd have seen it ended a long time ago. But it, it isn't. It, there's multiple things that are, that are an issue. So we, we just want to say, if we can focus on children, if you can help them on four key areas, which is what our child development centres do, that we say, first... First of all, if we can um, help them know Jesus, I think that's the best way to see an end to poverty. So we, we have a, a very strong um, spiritual side to our work. So our, our projects are really discipleship programs. That's how they work. So um, uh, spiritual, really important. Secondly, education, hugely important. If we can help a child to get not just a primary education, but a, a secondary education, and if they want to, to go to university as well. If you, can, if you can help a child to get educated, that makes a phenomenal difference. To give you a, just a, some context, in Haiti, for example, there's only enough schools for 50% of the children. There just aren't enough schools. There's a, a former sponsor child. He was a senator in Haiti for um, three or four years, and in that time he started 12 schools. He was a bit of a machine. Well, he is. He's, when I met him a few years ago, he was doing a PhD and two master's degree concurrently in Canada. He's written 26 books. He was a sponsor child. And I said to him, um, if, you, if you became president of Haiti, what, um, what would be your most important things you do? He said, oh, three things. I can tell you straight away. So I said, what's the first one? He said, education. For the reason I've said, what would be the second thing you'd focus on? He said, education. <laughs> I said, I think I might be able to guess the third one. Hugely important. Hugely, hugely important. I interviewed a, a former sponsored child from Thailand just last week um, in conversation with, with her. And it reminded me of a, um, a conversation from another Thai sponsored child. She became a staff member with Compassion, but she said this to me. She got through high school, wanted to go to university, and her parents said, no, you can't go. And she said, well, why not? She said, they said, 
going to university doesn't bring money in. You've studied more than we have. Um, you've now done high school. You need to work so that you can bring money in to help our family because we're in poverty. Against her parents' wishes, she went to university because she knew that if she could get through university, she could get a better job to really, really help her family, which is what happened. And they, they, they understood at the end, but it was really hard for her. So it's not always easy to get an education. So spiritual, educational, and physical. Um, a lot of the issues that children find, they can't go to because of sickness, because there's not clean water. So they, they're getting um, health issues because of poverty that then impact their education. Does that make sense? That is a knock-on effect. So within Compassion, what we do is regular medical checks and dental checks for children. Um, if they need medication, we will supply or supply the lack of funds that's needed so that they can um, get medications they need. Um, otherwise, the doctor says, you need to take this. They can't afford to buy those medications, so they don't... What's the point in going to the doctor? So we want to help them physically, um, and we want to help them um, socio-emotionally. If you think of it like this, if, if you're in poverty and your parents have grown in poverty, and maybe their grandparents are in poverty as well, it's hard to see beyond that. It's hard to see that it can be different for you. And the previous president of Compassion said these words. He said, to, he said this to a child, you may be in poverty, but poverty doesn't have to be in you. I like that. I love that phrase. And it's, that's what that socio-emotional part is about. So we just want to say, how can we help uh, a child to be able to see beyond what they can just see, to see that they could be the one to um, lead their family outside of poverty? And so every child gets a mentor, one alongside them, to support them and help them with that. And then finally, it's someone like yourself, a sponsor who can write to them and to encourage them and to say, I believe in you. That has powerful, powerful effect because you're writing from a country that's seen as wealthy and doing really well. So if here's someone across the oceans who's saying, I believe in you and I believe you can do well. That has powerful effect. Really powerful effect. I, I can't say enough of how important the letters are. You can write online, you can, you can write by hand, you can do a mixture. We're trying to make everything possible so that um, you can write. Uh, we're church-based. Let me jump to the next one. We're church-based, so all of what I've described is run from the local church and through the local church. So it's not compassion staff. For those who've been to visit, you probably know you didn't see a big compassion sign, you saw a local church sign. Yapoon Wesleyan Methodist Church. It's people like yourselves that are reaching out and doing that ministry with the children. So when you sponsor a child, you empower the local church to reach into their community. And then thirdly, we're, we're Christ-centered. We're just about Jesus. We've had different marketing people said, if you, if you took Jesus out of your, that name Jesus, out of your mission statement, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name, if you took, you'd be able to get more businesses and people who weren't Christians. They'd, they'd come on board and sponsor. And our answer is always the same. He is staying. It's what we're about. So um, I like that, that Jesus is there first and foremost in what we're about. Um, I'm going to jump over the, the video just of times going on. This next slide um, is unreal. If you could um, 
426 letters were sent in the last 12 months. For a church of your size, that is phenomenal. I have never seen that before. The two underneath it are also amazing. So the fact it's the same is quite incredible. But that number, I would say every church I go to, the kids write twice as many letters as the sponsors. That is, I'd say, pretty much every church I go to, give or take a bit, it will be like 40% to 60%, but, but give or take a bit. And so I, um, it's a program that does this that I use. And so I just put the church name in and it comes out with the numbers. And I've, I did it again and I did it again. I've done it again over three days. And this is, still comes out with the same thing. So I don't know if it's a glitch in the system, but I'm going to roll with this is what it is. And I want to say thank you. I have never seen this before in five years. Now, two or three of you have come to me yesterday. I was around at the garrison having a bit of a chat with a number of you, and a few people have come and said, oh, I need to write more letters. So there's some of you that aren't writing letters because you were feeling guilty, and you came and told me, and there's a few people looking at the floor. And <laughs> but there's, if this is correct, there's a number of you that are writing a lot of letters. And can I say thank you so much? And, and I have, have given this message to over the last, um, the last six weeks, I've been going to churches and I've taken a letter writing kit. I haven't brought it because of this. Well, I haven't brought it out, it's in the car. Because I put a challenge to a church is which church can write more letters than the children? Well, you're, you're pretty close there. Like one more letter would do it, you know? <laughs> so, um, like I said, I don't know if because they're the same, it, it may be a, a glitch in our system. But for today, let's say that that's correct. So, um, one more letter, and that's what I'm longing to see in churches, where, where not only do they take the giving, giving of the money seriously, but they take the relationship with the child seriously, a relationship more powerful than poverty. And, you know, I think the reason that that stat is usually off is because we think the answer to, to poverty is money. But we don't realize that actually we have a poverty, and our poverty is relationship. In Australia, if you look at this, that's why our suicide rate is so high, because people know a lot of people, but they don't have close relationships with many people. If you're in poverty, you cannot survive without relationship. There isn't enough money. Therefore, when someone else is doing well, they'll help you out. And I think in Australia, we need to get a handle on that. And that's why those letters are important. And that's why I have to talk about it a lot. Because um, the, the, the young lady I interviewed last week went right through the Compassion Program through primary school and high school and never had one letter from her sponsor. When the other children would get, letter, get letters, she, she said this to me. I've got an interview for a school. She said, I see their faces light up. And I would go and find a quiet place and cry. And then when she got to uni, she had a new sponsor, and that sponsor wrote to her, and she talks a lot about the importance of that and how um, it, that impacted her life and the difference it made. So um, thank you for writing as a church and what you're doing. For the, the people that are writing numerous letters, keep it going. <laughs> keep it going. For those of you that, that are a little behind, up that a little bit, and then when I come next time, we'll, um, 
we'll see, we'll, we'll see you be the first church to do that because I haven't found one yet. So thank you. Uh, we're going to jump into God's word now, but uh, my final thing that I want to say about um, compassion is if, if you've got room in your budget, like we don't want to see people go into debt over sponsoring. That's not what we're about. But if you've got room in your budget, it's $48 a month, $11 a week, or if you want to break that down further, I look at that like three coffees a week would sponsor a child. And that makes a huge difference. That provides those four things for a child, gets them to the opportunity to find out about Jesus and get to know him. That's just phenomenal. In Bangladesh, they're having huge problems just with bureaucracy to get funding through. Could you pray? Pray for the state director. I've just heard this last week from her. She's been over in Australia. Um, the project's now having to um, fill out forms on finance every month. Every month they have to go through this process, and it's time away from doing that with the children. If you could pray for the whole the, the government bureaucracy and legislation that we'll be able to get funds through more easily um, without so much red tape would be really, really helpful. And Indonesia, schools were shut for 18 months. Do you think about that for, for children who were due to start school and then they couldn't because of COVID? They are a year and a half behind in their schooling even before they started. And the impact that has, and that's nations in poverty. And we think the disruption we've had in schooling, 18 months, no school. In September last year, when schools reopened, only 34% reopened in that month. I haven't got stats beyond that, so I don't know what the final statistic is. The other horrifying statistic for Indonesia is this, that there are pre-COVID 400,000, according to, this is Indonesian statistics, 400,000 child brides every year. 400,000. In uh, September 2019, there were... 24, just over 24,000 registered child brides through their legal um, religious courts. So that's where the parents have gone to a court to say, yes, they're allowed to marry. Like if we wanted to marry as a 16-year-old, it's got to go to court to do that. But it's not just 16, it's any age under in Indonesia. So, so it was 19, uh, sorry, 26,000 in 2019. Um, in 2020, that figure was 64,000. So it's nearly tripled during COVID because people are starving and they need money. So if they can get a dowry for a daughter, then they can get finance in. I don't think any family should have to make that decision. So we, we don't know what the... So that was 64,000 legally registered, but from Indonesian statistics, it's 400,000. So there's 330,000 um, children that aren't registered legally, but have been married as children. And 87% of those are girls. So if you can help do something about that by sponsoring a girl today, that would be amazing for Indonesia. But I just, that statistic is horrific, is absolutely horrific. I want, to, I want to talk from God's word, really related with all of this, and I, I want to give you one word this morning. And um, now Pastor Ron is a great teacher, 
um, has a great teaching gift, love teaching God's, God's word, and that's why I know a lot of you come here. Um, my main gift is not Bible teaching. I'm, I'm, my kind of main gifts are more pastoral. That's where I, um, where I function best. And I don't know what your memory's like these days. So um, I'm getting older, and there's more and more information in there, and it's harder to find it. Some of you will identify with that. So I just want to give you one word this morning from the Word of God, just one word to take away that I pray will not only stick, but will make a difference in how you live. Is that okay? You can cope with one word. So I think of it like this. If your neighbor says to you, what do they talk about at church today? You haven't got to try and remember three points or go to your notebook. You can just say, I spoke about this. Are you ready for the one word? Interruptions. I want to talk about interruptions. They happen all the time. Happened to me yesterday. Um, After the garage sale, I went to get some cash from the ATM and I went went to a shopping center and I'm... I'm, I'm just waiting in the line. There's a guy sitting down beside me with one shoe off. And he says, come and sit down. They were having a problem with the ATM. So I sat next to him and I said, how's your foot? And we got chatting. He said, um, could you buy me lunch? I said, sure, I'll buy you lunch. What'd you fancy? And eventually we got the ATM working, we had a bit of a chat, and I went and bought him lunch. I wasn't expecting to buy lunch for somebody else that day. expecting just to get some cash from the ATM. But it was an interruption that happened, and I was glad to buy him a meal. And um, hear a little bit of his story, a little bit of his life. So we don't know when interruptions are going to happen. They just happen, and they happen to all of us. So let's um, look at Mark chapter 5. The, the words are going to be on the screen, but if you've got a Bible with you and you want to follow there, then please do. So Mark 5 and verse 21. And this is a, a passage of interruptions. In fact, interruptions have been happening even before we get to this section, and they continue afterwards. I'm going to read from the, the Passion Translation it's probably not the best as a translation in terms of study, but I, it's more of a paraphrase, but I like the way it describes. It's very descriptive, and that's really what, why I'm going to use this, this um, translation today. So what's happened up to this point is uh, Jesus has been across the lake, and he met Legion. Some of you would be familiar with that. He was this man possessed by many demons. They tried chaining him. He'd break the chains. He's a pretty scary guy. Lived in the cemetery. Probably want to hang around him. Um, and um, he interrupts Jesus' visit, but then Jesus interrupts the demons who interrupt some pigs that were peacefully feeding on the, the hillside to the point that they rush over the, the, the cliff and drown. And so Jesus causes a bit of interruption in that era to the point that the people say, please leave. And so he gets in the boat and he um, comes across, and this is where we pick up the story. After Jesus returned from across the lake, a huge crowd of people quickly gathered around him. Interruption one. I don't know what his business as usual was going to be that day. I don't know whether he was going to sit down and teach his disciples or or what they'd got planned. But whatever they got planned, here was a crowd waiting. Jesus, just then, a man saw that it was Jesus. So he pushed through the crowd and threw himself down at his feet. His name was Jairus, a Jewish official who was in charge of the synagogue. And he pleaded with Jesus, saying over and over, please come with me. My little daughter is at the point of death and she's only 12 years old. Come lay your hands on her, heal her, and she will live. 
we go on to the next slide. So here's a, a synagogue ruler throwing himself at Jesus' feet. That was not what synagogue rulers do. They were meant to be upright. And um, so this is really out of character, out of culture. Um, but here he is pleading over and over, come heal my daughter. So the crowd, first interruption. Jairus, second interruption. I was at a... Uh, I was at a servo, I was on my way to, it wasn't that far from here actually, I was on my way to Townsville and I stopped for fuel and I filled my car up, went in to pay and there was a, an unusually long queue and I wasn't in a particular hurry so I joined the end of the queue and I was just watching the guy behind the counter who was obviously stressed. You know, you really see that on someone that he's swamped, just everything about him was tense and it made me think about, I used to be a mechanic and I, did, I would do a few extra shifts um, on the pumps. In those days, you had to actually walk out and fill up the car. Some of you remember those, those days. So, but pretty much all we did was solve fuel and oil and a few lollies. That was it, really. But, but I was kind of thinking, you know, this guy, he's got... Um, they had hot food, they had pies and chips and that kind of thing. They had coffee. Um, they had the whole shop thing and he's doing the fuel. And I thought... Well, you have to you have to do a whole lot more than I used to do. You know, you've got to be a chef, you've got to be a barista, you've got to be a shop owner, retail, yeah, you know, all this these things that they're, they're doing. And I just felt for the guy. And and anyway, gradually I got to the front of the queue and um, I was just about to say my pump number, and a lady skips the queue, comes right up beside me, and just says um, oh, to the to the guy behind the counter, "Excuse me, could you um, help me? I can't get my petrol flap open." And, and it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Just this guy that was obviously stressed already, everything then kind of caved in. His shoulders went down and, and, and I just, he just looked like, I can't do another thing. I am way over my head. And I just said to him, um, look, I used to be a mechanic. I'm not in a hurry. Would you like me to go and help her? And then I'll come and join the queue again. And, and, and he says, oh, thank you so much. So we went out two or three minutes and got that, the, the flap open. By the time I come in, Hugh had gone. And as I'm walking down towards the counter, he falls on his knees and says, can you help me to find Jesus? No, he didn't do. <laughs> but isn't that what we want to happen when we help someone? You know, isn't that what we, we want to happen? Like the guy I mentioned yesterday, I bought him dinner. It'd be great if he says, oh, why did you do that? Can you tell me about Jesus? That conversation didn't happen. You know, had he asked or had it come up, yeah, I would have told him. I would have talked to him. I've got no... But it didn't. But I, I think of it like this. I was an interruption for the, the guy at the servo. I was an interruption in his chaotic day. And when I got to the counter, he thanked me profusely. He said... And I said, looks like you're having a, having a busy day. He said, oh, he said, you don't know half of it. There's usually another guy on who does all the food. He's the chef. And he, he called in sick first thing this morning. We couldn't get anyone else. I'm having to do it all. And I don't know what I'm doing. And he was just dressed. But in that little lull, I just said, I am so glad I arrived when I did. And I was glad to help you. Now, I just like to think that when he got home that day to his wife or his partner, whoever lives with at home, I like to think that he, when his wife said, um, oh, how's your day, darling? He said, oh, you don't know the half of it. I've had the worst day ever. And 
tells of the story. He said, you know, there's this one guy that came in and um, he, just, um, he just stopped and chatted, chatted to me and he, and he really helped me out when I was really, really in over my head. I just like to think he might have said that because that's what we do, isn't it? Isn't that what interruptions are? If you're a parent and you've said to your children, what do you do at school today? Nothing. <laughs> and what they mean is there were no interruptions. They mean nothing out of the ordinary happened. I just did my usual thing of my usual lessons. But if you look at, at the Gospels, the Gospels are full of interruptions. In fact, most of the stories and accounts we have are interruptions to business as usual. And yet I wonder for us, it's, it's often when we have an interruption, we think, oh, interruption? Can't do my Oh, someone's phoning the phone again and I'm trying to get my work done. And That's why I just want to give us one word to say, you know, interruptions can be opportunities. And when I was a pastor, I used to plan for interruptions. I worked out that I would have two days worth of interruptions every week. Just people who'd ring up and or drop in or can you help, can you do this, funeral, can you visit someone, hospital. That, that would be my average. And so I had, to, I had to work my week around allowing for interruptions that I knew were going to happen. I just didn't know what they were going to be because they're opportunities. I wonder if our lives are so full we're not able to... Um, Grab them. Let's continue reading. I like this immediately. Like there wasn't the oh I was gonna oh I was just gonna teach the crowd. Oh now immediately Jesus went with him. I like this, and the huge crowd followed. So here's the ambulance, if you like. Jesus and Jairus, they're the ambulance. And then, then there's this huge entourage. They say, oh, yeah, we'll come too, you know. So here, here go this crowd along this journey, and they're pushing and jostling. We'll find that as we go. Pressing in on him from all sides. And now in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. She had endured a great deal under a care of various doctors, Yet in spite of spending all she had on their treatments, she was getting worse instead of better. Let's read on. When she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd, came up from behind him, and touched his prayer shawl. For she kept saying to herself, If I could touch even his clothes, I know I would be healed. As soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped. She knew it, for she could feel her body instantly being healed of her her disease. I want to stop there for a moment. I just want to... I have been challenged in recent months about a reminder that Jesus was fully human and fully God. You know, both. And if you go through church history, there's councils where, where, where people are edging towards the fact that Jesus is more God than human, or others going the other way, just saying he was actually really a human being, and then, but God just came and was with him. And, and there were councils that said, no, both these things are important. There's a mystery here. We don't quite understand it. We can't quite work it out. But Jesus was fully God and fully man. And I started to realize that, that I was focusing a lot more on Jesus as fully God and less about what it meant to be fully human. And it was a book that made me think, start to, to think that way. It's a book by a, an author called Steve Bidolf. You may have come across him if you've got a, a boy in your household. He wrote a book called uh, Raising Boys that has been a lifesaver for many parents. 
um, and I am one of those. So I have three boys and two girls, and that book was helpful for us. He has Christian tradition. He wouldn't follow, um, I don't think he would follow um, theology that, that I certainly hold to, but it doesn't mean he's, got, he's not got anything to say. And he wrote a book last year called Fully Human, and he describes in the book like this. He says, to be fully human, we're like a, a, a mansion on four floors. We have a body, we have a mind, we have emotions, and then he, we have what he calls super sense. And if you want to know what that is, you have to read the book. Um, I'll tell you afterwards. So that hunch, you know, when you have a hunch about something, and often you follow that and you find something happens, or I'm so glad I did that. But it was not a logical thing, it just happened. And he, he says, and he goes through the, in the book about in the West how we're very mind-centric, very mind-dominated. And he goes through history as to why that is and how that came about. But it's not the same in other cultures. There's other cultures that put a different emphasis on different parts. But he said if we want to live fully as a human being, we need to be present on all four floors, body, mind, emotion, super sense, have the lights on and be present on all four floors at the same time. And if you, let me talk to the blokes here for a moment. How, how good are you at engaging with your emotions? Because most blokes, we don't do that very well. We'll kind of go there occasionally at the footy. You know, we can get very emotional about that. And then other times, then we shut the door on there and then we get back to the mind, you know. Or we might go to the gym and we do the body thing, but then we're back in the mind again. And we're not integrating those things. And it, it made me start to think about my own life and how am I functioning wholly as a human being? You know, how, how am I looking after my body? What I'm, fuel I'm putting in, the right kind of fuel. Um, how, many, how much sleep am I getting? That, just healthy things, really. And as I started to process those and think those things through, I then started to look at scripture and to start to think, well, how did what it look like for Jesus to function as a, fully as a human being? And I think we get a glimpse here where this woman, if we, if we read on, verse 30, Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him, for he felt the power that always surged around him had passed through him for someone to be healed. I love the description of that that somehow, although this crowd were pressing in, he knew that touch was different. And I don't think that's about fully God. I think that's about fully human. Let me unpack that. I was um, back when I um, finished pastoring the church I used to, I, where I was the pastor. I still go there. And a new pastor came on board, and I'd, I'd met him a few times, but I'd never met his family. So I had a, a rare Sunday back there, because I'm usually out most Sundays traveling with compassion. And I um, got to meet him and his family, and introduced his wife to me and their children. And we talked for a while, and I was standing just in the like, welcome area by the door, like you have here. And um, they both went off and talked to other people, and I pretty much stayed there, having um, had the conversation with the pastor, then with his wife, talking with some other people. And as I was talking, um, a little clue here, the, the pastor and me were wearing very similar color shirts. So I'm standing there chatting, and I was just aware in my peripheral that someone came up kind of behind, beside me, and then they put their arm around me, and just on my shoulder, just put their hand on my shoulder. Now, all I can say is it felt different. I can't, it wasn't 
It wasn't a sexual touch or anything untoward. It was just a hand on a shoulder. But it felt different to the point that I turned around really quickly to see who had, who had touched me. And it was the new pastor's wife. When our eyes met, she was as surprised as I was because she thought it was her husband. <laughs> so, oh, I thought it was... It was just embarrassing. But I still look back, back at that. I still can't describe the feeling. I can't tell you. It just felt different. And all I can say is it was the touch of a wife to her husband to get his attention rather than to a friend. That's the best I've got. But I think Jesus was so in touch physically, he knew the difference between a crowd pressing, pushing, and someone deliberately touching him. Because it was the woman's faith. Later on we read that, your faith has healed you. So how in touch are you when, if you give someone a, there's a few of you handshaking and hugging going on. And with COVID, it's all a bit what you do, what don't you do, elbows, feet, knees, things like the head, shoulders, knees and toes song, doesn't it, on what we do to, to greet. But how in touch are we when we shake someone's hand or when we give someone a hug on how they're doing? You know, there's, there's, an, there's a, a, a potential to pick up how people are physically. But we're not very good at doing that in the West because we live in our minds and we're so we wait for the words, wait for someone to tell us. Occasionally that will happen. Some of you will have a hunch. I think I need to ring so-and-so today. And you ring up and you find there's a, there's a huge need happening there and they just couldn't quite bring themselves to ask. You know, we, we know those things that happen. And I just, there's nods going on around here. You've, you've had that, you've experienced that. We need to do more of that. And there's more of that available but just we've got to watch that our culture says the most important thing is the mind. It is important, but it's not the most important. There are other aspects to being human as well. And I love this when the, the disciples in verse 31 are saying, what do you mean who touched you? Look at this crowd, they're all pressing. But Jesus' eyes swept across the crowd looking for the one who had touched him for healing. Then we read in verse 33, When the woman who experienced this miracle realized what had happened to her, she came before him, trembling with fear, and threw herself down at his feet, saying, I was the one who touched you. And she told him her story of what had happened. You know, this, this woman probably touched him secretly because she knew that with bleeding she was unclean, and if she touched the rabbi who's clean, she would make him unclean. Does that make sense? Someone who was unclean, sinful if you like, was how they viewed it. If she touched the rabbi, who would have been ceremonially clean, it made him unclean. Therefore, he would then have to, to go through a period of cleansing before he could go and minister again. So it's a big deal. And now she's been found out. And she's going trembling with fear. But you know, I like to think that if she wasn't going this way towards Jesus, trembling in fear, she would have going away healed, but yet feeling guilty because she had made a rabbi unclean. And I love the fact that Jesus calls her and he says to her, daughter, because you dared to believe, your faith has healed you. And now he says this, go with peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. He not only wanted her healed, he wanted her whole 
And that's the most precious thing about Jesus, is that he wants us whole. And, the, and the, I think the most phenomenal thing is we as Christians believe that, that when you touch Jesus, you don't make him unclean, he makes you clean. <laughs> and that's the gospel, isn't it? And in the next part of the story, there's another interruption that happens where the, the people come and say, actually, Jairus, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter has died. And Jesus interrupts them as they're interrupting him, saying, don't listen to them. Just believe. Just believe. And then Jesus interrupts death, which is done for us, that we might know life. What a saviour we have. I have one last interruption to bring as I finish. You know, Jesus has interrupted sin so that we can know life and fullness. And many, if not all of you, will know that, of what he's done for you, that you can know life in his name. Some of you have known healing. I've known that in my own body. I've had that whole mixture. I've had miraculous healing happen. I've had doctor's healing happen, and I've got stuff I'm still carrying that I'd like to be free from. And I think there's a mystery in there. We don't know. He works in mysterious ways. I don't understand all of that. But I know he loves me. I know he died to save me. And it's a fantastic message where he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I never drift from you. I will never abandon you. What a message we have. What a saviour we have. So he's done that interruption for us to give us life. And we need to pass that on to people out here in our community. So may, may there be interruptions for you where you get the opportunity to share Jesus. You might get opportunity to talk about him. You might get opportunity to be his hands and his feet by buying someone a meal, just like happened to me yesterday. There's also another opportunity to interrupt poverty for a family. That just by taking one of those profiles of a child and scanning the back and saying, yeah, I can do this. I can sponsor a child or I can sponsor another child. I don't want any more child brides. I want them to be able to get an education. I want them to be able to know Jesus. And bring an interruption to poverty. There's an opportunity that's there as well. If you've got questions about any of that, I'll be at the back. There's no pressure. Um, first and foremost, I'm a pastor. That's how I work. But I would love to answer any questions that you've got. So let me pray. Father, thank you for giving your son... Jesus, thank you for coming and having all the frailties of humankind, of knowing, knowing the frailties and weaknesses and temptations that, that we are familiar with, you were familiar with. And we, we find that hard to, to comprehend how you could be fully human and fully God. But we know it's true. Thank you, Jesus, for the way that you allowed people to interrupt you. And you brought not only healing but wholeness to this woman's life, to Jairus' daughter, to Legion. Thank you that you're still, you're still in the same, doing the same thing that you want to work through us to bring life and healing and wholeness to people. Whether it's a child in poverty or one of our neighbours or someone in a shopping centre or someone at the servo, Father, I just pray you'd help us to, to not push away opportunities by dismissing them because they're an interruption to what we want to do. But I pray that this week somehow we'll be able to embrace interruptions as they come, as they will, and we'll be able to see them as opportunities and bring something of your love, 
something of your mercy, something of your peace, something of your grace, and something of your joy to the people that interrupt us for whatever reason they bring. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.